Amen. What a song. Praise the Lord. And I know this morning is again different as we have had to make adjustments all along the way here with COVID. And we have another adjustment as well this morning in respect to this morning. <laughs> A quick adjustment in view of, uh, you know, one of our members testing positive with COVID. And so with that being the case, we limited it just to, uh, virtual today. And so um, thank you, though, to everyone for quickly responding. I know the email was only really sent out a few hours ago and the text as well. And so um, thank you for responding quickly to that and um, being sensitive to that as well. And um, I know we are certainly going to be praying for this family as well as others as well that um, just today some have uh, in the hospital and in the ER. So I'll send more details out later about that. But uh, we'll be praying for them also. And as an aside too, I want to say Megan and I are so thankful for all of you and for your kindness again towards us. I know, you know, we were gone last week taking care of Megan and she was in the hospital and get, having surgery and all these things. And you all just so blessed us in so many ways. And we're just so thankful for all of you. And we're just continually blown away by the love of Christ here at Haven. And it's our prayer more and more and more uh, that this that Haven will be a light to this area for the sake of the gospel as well. And so let's, uh, just to say, we've been so blessed and encouraged by you. So I want to just tell you that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray for these things and prepare our hearts for the word of God this morning. Father, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, that you are great. You are almighty. You're powerful. You're all-powerful. You're all-knowing. You're everywhere, present, omniscient. You are omnipotent. You are in control. And we look to you as the living God this morning. We do not pray as though we're just praying to walls. We do not pray just because it's some thing we do as part of our services. We pray because we're praying to you, the living God, who hears us and who is there. And we thank you that you, in your incredible mercy, would send your Son, Jesus Christ, to save us, people who are rebelling within our rebellion, and continue in so many ways of brokenness and fallenness and wickedness even. And yet, you and your mercy would send your son to die for us. We just praise you, God, for these things. And we praise you that the mighty and the living God, who exists eternally as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you did these things for us and how deeply that should humble us this morning may we be humbled if we're not already for those who are listening or watching or tuning in who do not know christ this morning may they be humbled by the deep love of god 
in the midst of the deep reality of the holiness of God as well. We just come humbled before you in these things. We come and pray this morning that our hope, we recognize that our hope is Christ, and may our hope in Christ increase this morning all the more. Grow our hope. May you lead those who don't know Christ to Christ this morning. May you use the preaching of your word for your name and for your glory. May you be with us, Lord, and help us. May you be with all the needs right now as there are a number of needs within our congregation. May you put your hand on those families uh, in our congregation in their time of need right now. Uh, we pray that you would be with all the, the members, continue to protect them from COVID and in the midst of this pandemic and the rising cases around us. We just pray that you would continue to protect our family here and protect even the many around here beyond us this area as well in our state and beyond and pray that soon a vaccine would come and that you would bring about an end to the COVID. And we pray that you would humble our nation, Lord, in the midst of these things, that this sense of self-sufficiency and autonomy that is a lie would be undone and that you would help people to fall on knees and repent before you, the living God, who is God. And so we pray for your hand in this, and we pray that you would be with us right now as we turn to your word, open our eyes, and we behold wondrous things from your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would then, this morning we're going to continue in the Gospel of John, and go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 9. We'll continue here in this chapter, in verses 13 through 34. So we began this chapter two weeks ago, and there, if you recall, we beheld the incredible miracle, or more specifically, a, a sign that Jesus did. And we have seen uh, kind of these signs again and again in various ways in the Gospel of John. And so now, um, here, we can, you know, even in our lives, we can often go about uh, looking for signs from God, or even manufacturing signs, and even think that they are from God and claim that they are from God here and now. Well, here we need not go about looking or manufacturing some sort of sign here. Here we surely have a sign from God. And who is this sign pointing to? And you know it. It is pointing to this man, the God-man, Jesus, who is the Christ. And so we have seen that, and that's what we have seen, at least as we began this gospel, the, throughout the gospel, and, and even in this chapter here in chapter 9. So it was then that we saw at the beginning of chapter 9 that Jesus, he, he spit on the ground, and he made mud out of his saliva, um, there and he put upon the man who was born blind that mud upon this beggar and the man he went away and he washed in the pool of Siloam and he was healed at that very moment. So the man who was born blind was blind no more. And so it is in this 
context, we continue here in our passage this morning, really with the Pharisees wondering how to deal with this. And so let's read here, beginning with verse 13. May God work powerfully upon our hearts and minds at the hearing of the reading of his inspired word. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, You put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, then, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began... Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. So at the outset here, we see those who knew this once blind man, this beggar they had seen, bring, and they, they, they take him and they bring this man to 
the Pharisees. And so they had seen this man begging, you know, day after day, perhaps for many years now, seeing him again and again, perhaps even taking it for granted where there's that beggar who has been blind since he's been born. But now this once blind man, incredibly, he sees. And so they bring him to the Pharisees. And we aren't, we aren't told why they do this, but it's likely due to either, you know, wanting to share this incredible news with the religious authorities, you know, as you would be inclined to do after seeing a miracle of this sort, a miracle of God, you know, excitement propels them to go and tell them. So that could be part of it and or they want to hear kind of what the religious authorities, you know, are thinking. Like, how do we even consider, how do we think through what just happened? And what does that mean about the guy who healed him as well? And so all these things, I think, are going on as they're coming to, him, to bringing this man to the Pharisees. And so this would become, you know, quite the thorn in the side of the Pharisees, though. So imagine the scenario here. You know, these Pharisees, you know, they, they went to a private Jewish school. They trained all, in all the most elite, you know, of Jewish uh, colleges. They went on to receive their masters with great acclaim as well. And then comes this untrained upstart that goes around gaining a following for himself while you have labored years to gain your position. I mean, who is this guy, you know? And not only that, but he repeatedly has made you and the other Pharisees look foolish. I mean, he, he didn't just do that in private either. He did it in public as well, right in front of many people. And so all that coming to this, Scenario here and now this a man born blind is healed and so this is forcing them to deal with Jesus and to answer some questions that they just simply are getting quite angry about which we've already seen they want to kill Jesus already we've seen that so they're not happy with this and it is forcing the question it's forcing the question and really we see this throughout these verses but in particular in verses 13 through 17 here so now regardless of what they may have thought about jesus before they're forced to answer this question who is this man and so they go on to question this man born blind this beggar here and we don't really need to, to wonder about what their conclusion was regarding who this man is. They tell us in verse 24. So they say, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And so they're essentially saying, you know, why don't you tell us the truth? We already know this man is a sinner. So they're dismissing Jesus entirely. They're saying this guy, he is not the real deal. He is not the Christ. In fact, he is the exact opposite. He is a sinner. And so we see 
the response very clearly. And so despite their answer, though, and their questions about this miracle that we kind of read already and see here, we know and we have seen that this was the work of God. No doubt. So Jesus, he told us that, and we saw it there in chapter 9, verse 3. It said, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this is exactly what this is. This is what this man, born blind, is. He is the walking work of God. The man born blind, on display, you see what God did? Yet, this is not the way the Pharisees see this man, and nor the way, of course, if we've seen the way that they see Jesus. So some of them, they say of Jesus here, you know, he can't, he can't be from God. I mean, you, you see how he broke the Sabbath day? I mean, it's ruled out. You know, you can't be from God and be a, like that in that way and break this important, weighty command of Scripture. Well, if that was true, that would be true. We'll look at that again in a second or look at it more in a moment. So that's one thing they're saying. And then while others are also saying, but wait a minute, how could a man who is a sinner do such signs like that? Which makes a lot of sense, you know? I mean, even if they had, you know, perhaps paused here for a moment and just simply consider, well, let's take a moment and just consider this question a little bit longer here and everything else that we've heard and seen about Jesus, perhaps they would honestly come to this God-man, Jesus Christ, instead of as they do again and again, hardening themselves again and again. Now, there is a weakness to the other crowd's point, you know, where they said there that um, how could a man do a sinner, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there's a weakness to that because there certainly can be false prophets. You have a category in your mind for that. There can be false prophets in such a way that some can and they will perform great signs and wonders even as Jesus tells us they will. So I'm not going to read it, but Matthew 24, 24, you can look at that. Jesus says they will do things like this. But where we see false prophets in the Old Testament, so we see that quite a number of places, and we'll see false prophets and preachers and teachers today and in the future, Jesus is not one of those. Here instead, we are privy to this knowledge. Jesus is not a smoke and mirrors puppeteer of God's word. He is the real deal. And so it is that we see here the real threat, and a big part of the threat of Phariseeism. 
So Phariseeism it serves up a kind of Christianity that is merely concerned with uh, a facade of true spirituality. It's not real. In fact, it's empty. This is what they're serving up here, and these are the persecutors of the body of Christ among the body of Christ even today. So Phariseeism isn't gone. The heart of it is still beating, and it is still alive in many congregations and many places all around the world. So this isn't like for us to say, well, oh, that's just, that was just them in the Bible, you know, Pharisees, okay, that's back then. Well, that same heart, that same mind, that same trajectory can be in you and me, and it is dangerous. And we need to be careful. And they may lift up Christ, but they live by another standard, even among us. Which leads us to see part of the Pharisees' problem here with Jesus. And a real danger and warning for us as well is the danger of adding to God's word. The danger of adding to God's word. So they, they look at Jesus and they think, you know, here is a mere, a mere man. He is just a Sabbath breaker. He's just a trouble. He's a thorn in our side. That's all he is. But the problem with this is it is not true. So how had they arrived at that conclusion? Well, it wasn't primarily Bible, was it? It was Bible plus something else. Well, what was that? What was that something else? It was Bible plus their oral traditions. So Bible plus the Mishnah. That would be kind of the cataloging of all these oral traditions that they had written up. So against their oral tradition then, Jesus comes and he had healed on the Sabbath. Strike one. Broke our oral tradition. What else did he do? Well, he had worked by making dirt in to mud. I mean, we hardly, I don't think a lot of us would consider that work, but they would have considered that work because any kneading of anything, like a dough and things like that, that would be considered work. So, same with the mud, strike two. Lastly, he had anointed the man's eyes with mud as well, and so that also would go against their oral tradition and strike three. So apart from Scripture, they had rejected not just anyone, but the very Son of God. They had rejected not just some upstart prophet, but indeed the prophet. Deuteronomy 18, the one like Moses, prophet. By adding to God's word. You want to look at where Phariseeism begins? Well, it begins right there. It's adding to the Bible. It's adding to the work of Christ. 
It is Jesus plus something else. It is Jesus plus your own personal list of do's and don'ts. You won't find them in the Bible, but you have your list, and you could probably, you might even have them written out. Well, that is your own sort of Mishnah of today. It's the Bible plus some other thing that rises above it either directly or indirectly. And it may not even be written. It may be, it may be your emotions. Have you ever considered that? I mean, watch out for anyone who would dare overstep those. My emotions have a higher authority and ranking than the Bible. And if they're higher, you've added to it. You can do it that way. There's other ways as well. It may be intellect. Sure, the Bible says this, but you uniquely know better than the sovereign, infinitely wise, all-knowing God. That's another. It may be your experiences. So some dream, some vision, some intuition. And it, it comes above the Bible. Well, I had this, even though the Bible may say otherwise, this trumps Bible. And so you're lifting it higher than what God has said in his word. So that's another, another, maybe pragmatism. So I, I remember once talking with someone, you know, and they uh, were talking about various things about Christianity, about what scripture was saying regarding you know, various events and things going on or uh, things like this. And, and they say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Bible says that. But you know what? You'll know better once you've lived a little longer. That's not the way the real world works. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I've heard it more than once. And so this kind of trumping of the Bible that the Bible may say this, but whatever, I don't care. The real world's this way. And so the real world trumps Bible. And that is adding to the scriptures as well. It's adding plus. It's a plus to these things. It's a Phariseeism. And so it's the Bible plus something, which may be all sorts of things. Maybe you are thinking of another one right now. You just plug it in there. If it rises above scripture, you are in trouble. You're adding something there. And so we must be careful of this very real danger of Phariseeism. And so the quest here, as we see, it doesn't end there with verses 13 through 17. They continue on to disprove Jesus here as they progress in the coming verses. What we see here is the inadequacy of everyone. The inadequacy of everyone. So they don't believe this man, the man born blind, which is plain enough. So verse 18, it tells us that the Jews did not believe that they had that he had been born blind and had received his sight. And so they decide, surely then, this man's parents can clear all this up and you know we can kind of find a way to dismiss this miracle. Yet, 
the parents' testimony is insufficient also. So after hearing them, there is little doubt left. The man was indeed born blind, yet even so, the Pharisees are not moved to reconsider the question of who really is this man, and so they kind of go back and forth. It's kind of somewhat comical going back and like, okay, well, let's go back to him again. Let's go back to the man born blind, and they go back to question him again, and similarly, they find that the beggar's testimony is insufficient as well again. So they now believe he was blind, having heard the man's parents. They still aren't moved. They still don't see or turn to see Jesus truly. Him who is indeed the light of the world. And so they hear this man a second time and they have had enough. They are done <laughs> with this. As the man born blind here is really, he's beginning to see who Jesus is, the Pharisees, they are getting all the more blind, such that in the end, what do they do? Well, they, they cast him out. You know, they essentially excommunicate this man from the synagogue. He will have no part in worship here, out with you. All who talk about Jesus this way are not welcome here. So they aren't willing to learn anything from this man. And as we see this and as we witness just this depth of blindness here from the Pharisees, may that not be us this morning. May our hearts not be like that. And so let's take a moment here and look at five lessons here from a beggar from this beggar so the first lesson we can learn from this is be careful you are not following the blind be careful that you are not following the blind and the blind here in this passage they were the religious leaders of their day I mean what a dreadful thought I mean Lord help us these men, they had authority, they had a knowledge, and they were seen as examples of true spirituality, and yet they were not. They had a sort of spirituality, but it was all empty. Now Jesus, he says in Matthew 23, verses 2 through 3, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. So even as they somewhat ironically call upon this man to tell the truth about Jesus with the phrase, you know, give glory to God, like you see this in the Old Testament as well, this kind of phrase, give glory to God, like tell the truth. They're saying that to him, but they cannot and they do not tell the truth themselves that we know that this man is a sinner. Irony. So they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. And so the blind man, though, he doesn't, he doesn't follow them, does he? 
isn't, he isn't quite a follower of Jesus yet, but he's, he's getting there. And so he tells them, you know, Jesus must be a prophet. And even as his, his parents shrink back in fear, he boldly exclaims in verse 32, 33, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Which leads us then to the second lesson from this beggar is fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. And so the, the parents, they were afraid. And so they said what they needed to say to kind of avoid being cast out. It was common knowledge that if you kind of profess Christ or are followers of Christ, you could be cast out of the synagogue. And so they knew that and they avoided that. But this is not the case for the man born blind. For him, if Jesus be the Christ, the nun and nothing would hold him back from wanting to know that. And in the same way, nothing should hold us back from him as well. Nothing should hold us back from seeking to flee to him, from seeking to live for him, from seeking to proclaim him as well. If he is the Christ, whom shall we fear? John Chrysostom, the early preacher, Christian preacher, he was known as the golden-tongued preacher because he had such powerful preaching. And he was known for preaching Christ and preaching God's word, which was exactly what got him into, into trouble. And so the empress, during his day, ruled that he was to be exiled for his preaching. And so upon hearing that, Chrysostom, he replied to this, What can I fear? Will it be death? But you know that Christ is my life, and that I shall, that I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth in all its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear. Riches I do not sigh for. Death I do not shrink from. So may it be that nothing would keep us from Christ. If you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, or tuning in and you don't know Christ this morning, may nothing keep you away from him because he is the Christ. He is the one who can save you. And he is the Savior. May this also not keep you from proclaiming him, whether it be spiritually empty Pharisees or someone or something else. And so it is we see a third lesson here also. Be bold. Be bold. So this blind man, who by the Pharisee standard would be the farthest from being qualified to teach them, he is the one providing a lesson for them. He is the one 
providing a corrective and a rebuke for the Pharisees. And so it is that they say here in verse 34, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? I mean, you could hear kind of a, a laugh behind it, right? This beggar, you know, he doesn't know anything. I mean, who are you? We've been to all these, we've been to all these schools. We have these master's degrees. We know all these things. I mean, who are you to teach us? And so they dismiss this man, yet he is in the right. And so also it is that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29. Now I remember before I came to faith in Christ, I was working um, at an electronic store in Circuit City, no longer in business now. And I remember, you know, recalling how, you know, many people there and in so many words, you know, they simply thought I was a jerk. And it's true. Prior to my coming to faith, I was a jerk. That's exactly what I was. And I remember, you know, so many times it just being that, I remember disrespecting other people. I remember not listening to my managers and, and even being written up time after time after doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And, and then I continued doing it. And I remember being a very poor worker as well. I remember, you know, making fun of others and, and pushing people's buttons and trying to start something and all these things. And so I was a jerk. Now, before that was all before I came to faith in Christ, but I'm afraid that many Christians today aren't known for being scripturally bold, but they are known for simply being just that. They're simply being known as jerks. They think that being a jerk is boldness. They mistake you know, boldness for being direct. I'm just going to tell you like it is, and that's who I am. You know, that's my personality. I just tell you like it is. Well, that's not boldness. That's not what the scripture says boldness is. That's being lazy. It takes more work to not tell it like it is all the time. To not, not care what people think in respect to being sensitive to their feelings and just telling them, like, you know, I don't care what you think, what you feel, or anything else. I'm just going to tell you. It's harder to be bold and bear the fruit of the Spirit, which includes gentleness. Kindness. What happened to those in your boldness? So boldness is living and living for and following Christ. Boldness is blessing those who persecute you. Bless a uh, boldness fears God over men, all the while loving God and loving men. It's speaking the truth in what? Love. Not just the one, speak the truth. It's speaking the truth in love. 
So if your understanding of boldness is being mean, it's not boldness. And honestly, it's a stumbling block for many people coming to faith. In Christ is your, and this character that's not character, it's sin and we need to repent of it and put on the fruit of the Spirit in its place. Our fourth lesson here is trust Him. Trust Christ. So what does this look like? Well, it looks like the man born blind, he, he hears Jesus' words, he doesn't quite know who this is or anything, but he, he takes Jesus' words and he goes and he does them. So what Jesus said to do, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, the beggar, he went and he did it. So it's believing Jesus' word. He is not a false prophet. And so we need not treat him like one as well. And so if him prior to coming to faith did it, my oh my for us who do know him, how we are called to listen to our Lord and follow him and do what he says and to trust him, right? And we're doing, so it's going, it's going all in. It's putting your whole self we're not passing around offering plates, but it's putting your whole self in the offering plate. It's being cast out for him and being willing to be cast out for him. It's all in. So church, this is what Christ, he calls us to every day is to be, Lord, here I am, send me. Lord, send me, even though I know my desires aren't there, Lord, Send me now, even though I want to, even though I'm afraid, I'm going to still press on and still trust you, even though I may not know what to say, I may not know what to do, I may not know, I may not know, I may not know, but I will trust you in your word and do it. Lord, here I am, a living sacrifice. Use me for your name. Every day. When your emotions are high, when your emotions are low, when you feel like you can't do anything, when you feel like you can do everything, Lord, I'm a living sacrifice. It says Charles Spurgeon exhorts, you either believe in God up to the hilt or else not believe it all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation, a faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith. At best, it is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. We are to put our whole selves in there. All our weaknesses, everything. You're not coming every day, you know, all this energy, 100%. But every day, Lord, I'm yours. In all that weakness and mass of me, I'm yours. So if some come and say to you, you know, you're wrong for believing in marriage. You're wrong for believing the Bible. You're wrong for believing in what the scriptures say about gender, the sanctity of human life, Christ. We would say, could not but, but trust him who made me and you and all things 
and didn't leave me in my helpless, dead state, but he came and he ransomed me from death and hell forever. He is the one I trust and you can also. That is our heart. This to be our life. Which then leads us to this last lesson here. See him. See him. See Jesus. Here we come to the thrust of the passage. So this is the very thing that this passage is again and again emphasizing. See, this is the Christ. See Christ. You need him. Don't be blind like the Pharisees. Be seeing like the beggar. And this is the very thing that we see again and again emphasized here. See Christ. No longer be blind, but see. See that this is indeed him. He is indeed the Savior. And so perhaps this morning is the morning for you to believe, to repent and believe Christ. Believe that this is the one who came to save not in the abstract, but he came to save you really and truly and personally. Maybe you don't know him this morning. Well, he can save you. He can ransom you from death and hell forever. You must simply believe. My question is, will you this morning? That you may say truly, even as the beggar does here, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Let's pray together. Father, help us to learn from this passage this morning. Learning these lessons from the beggar. Learning the danger of Phariseeism. Lord, help us Help us to examine ourselves this morning. Help us to consider our lives, our thoughts, our actions. And as you, you show us areas where we need to change because you will, that's what you do. May we seek your face. If that means repenting of some sin, if that means confessing of some sin, which they go together. But may we do that, Lord. That means coming to faith in Christ for the first time ever. May we do that. And may those here, those online who don't know you, may they come to you. All who are weary and heavy laden, and Christ will give them rest. So Father, we pray that you would help us as we take in your word. Help us to, to consider it. And as we sing this, this last song this morning is opportunity for us to examine our hearts. And I know it's challenging at home. I know you're probably sitting there. Maybe you have kids and they're all wandering around. But examine your hearts and examine your lives. Get on your knees and humble yourself before God. Be willing to examine yourself this morning. Don't be distracted by the iPhone, iPad, and all this stuff and technology, but Take in the word this morning and ask God what he's calling you to do this morning. May you lead us, Lord.
May we respond this morning to your word in Jesus' name. Amen.